Welcome to Our Jewish Roots with insightful Bible teaching from Israel by Dr. Jeffrey Seif. This week, Israel and Judah are captured in exile. So what happens next? Today on Kings and Kingdoms. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. Jeffrey Seif. This is the last program in this series. It's all about leaders, about kings. I think today is about the ultimate king of kings, yes? Well, he's certainly going to emerge out of the story, and it reminds me that leadership hurts mm. sometimes when I look at this, and I think you know what I'm talking about, and I know we do. Uh, there's a price to pay when you stand up for biblical values in a valueless world. And that's the crown of a real king. That's a Humble. real king. That's a yes. that's that, that's, that's the best humble right crown. there. Yes. Right. right now we're going to take you underneath the Mount of Olives for Dr. Seif's teaching. Let's go there now. Let's call this an Our Jewish Roots exclusive. I think it's fair to say because you're not going to see this from many others. This is a place that most don't frequent, unless perhaps you are a Hasidic Jew, an ultra-Orthodox Jew who lives in Jerusalem. Those folk come here to pray. The reason why they do is because they venerate the site, because here in the Mount of Olives, in a cave underground, there's a tomb. There are a number of tombs, actually, venerated by the ultra-Orthodox to be the tombs of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. The reason why they're important for our story is those were prophetic voices who administered what Lord put on their heart during the last days of Old Testament history. And, oh, the days were fascinating. Babylonia had exiled the Hebrews in Judea, but then Babylonia itself fell to Persia. And the Persians allowed the displaced Hebrews to come back and rebuild. There's a new political world. There's a new set of circumstances. And there are prophetic voices to speak to the moment. Let's go to the site venerated as the tomb of the prophet Malachi. Let's go in there. Malachi and Haggai both are said to have been laid to rest there. Let's visit the spot and hear what one of them had to say. Really, you're going to love it because it is very, very interesting and appropriate. Come with me. I want to turn out this light and uh, 
turn on this one, in fact. Uh, and, and as I do so, you know, it feels a little odd coming to you from tombs. I don't think I'm disrespecting the prophets who are alleged to have been interred here because what I'm doing is resurrecting their voice. There's an old saying that the, the long arm of the pen reaches beyond the grave, and that's going to be the case today when we consider the prophet Haggai. As I noted earlier, there are three uh, post-exilic prophets right at the end of the Older Testament, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Haggai comes from the Hebrew Chag, which means feast or festival specifically. Uh, Zechariah, Zechariah speaks of remembering from Zechar in Hebrew, and Mal Malachi comes from uh, uh, Malach, which means my messenger. Interesting story, by the way, as we consider Haggai, a prophet who ministered during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah and during the, uh, uh, during the time when Zerubbabel was the first governor and then Ezra came and then uh, Nehemiah came after. And there's a prophetic word here about the governor. It speaks to a political moment. And I'm looking at the very end of Haggai's prophetic word in verse 21, say to Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel comes from the Hebrew Zereh, which means seed and of Babel, because this governor came from Babylonia. He came from one political circumstance, and then he's a transposition to be somewhere else. Say to him, say to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, this is the new fledgling colony of Judah, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overturn the throne of kingdoms and destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. That's a very strong word. In the Hebrew Bible, the Lord is referred to by a number of names. Adonai Tzivaot is one of them, the Lord of the armies. Uh, there's a word, a theological term, omnipotent, that is all-powerful. One can set up political structures and they tumble. Uh, God can uh, displace persons. He can displace nations. He can replace people. Uh, he can place people to accomplish his own purposes. That's what he's saying here. And he is behind this governor because the governor is being faithful to him. And isn't that what we want of leaders, by the way? We want leaders to be, uh, to be just, equitable, fair, and righteous. And then we want the good Lord to be working uh, behind the leader to accomplish good purposes on the earth. When we cast our vote for leaders, I really do think that, that we want to uh, be on the side of the Lord. Uh, we want to wrestle with the question when we hear uh, parties, platforms, and people. We want to know what best comports with biblical vision in order to help ensure that, that, that God's going to bless the endeavor. Well, here, uh, that is not in question because there's a prophetic word to the governor. Look, I'm going to be with you. But not just that. Uh, if you'll pivot to the very end in verse 23, on that day, and then inserted in here parenthetically, it is a declaration of Adonai Tzivaot, that is, the Lord of the armies, the Lord of hosts, that is, uh, language that portrays a God of strength, power to move nations and circumstance. It is a declaration. He says, I will take you Zerubbabel, my servant, 
And then again, it's, it's, it's almost superfluous. It is a declaration of the Lord. That is to say, God himself is saying in no uncertain terms, it's coming through a prophetic word that, uh, that I'm going to be with you. And he says, I will set you like a signet ring. Now, throughout this series, we've employed various kinds of uh, regal paraphernalia, specifically a, a crown and a scepter, and you've seen some robes. The signet ring, again, it's uh, whoever carries that ring and employs the seal. Uh, this is an attestation of the will and the law of, 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 of the magistrate. And here, in effect, this governor is likened to God's seal. And let me just say, when we think of kings and kingdoms, that's what we want with people who hold power, who we give power to. Uh, we want them to, to have God's blessings, to have his stamp in what they do, which is the reason why throughout the series I've stressed, we want leaders. Uh, we want to choose leaders who comport with biblical vision and virtue to enhance the chance of God's being behind them in their endeavors to facilitate success to the end that uh, we might be the head and not the tail, a victor, not a victim, a winner, not a loser. That's what we want. And we want leaders to facilitate that. Well, here at the very end of the Older Testament, uh, the good Lord is saying he's going to behind the, be behind this good governor to accomplish his purposes. Kings and kingdoms, it's important to have the right kind of people with the right kind of power and the right kind of place. That's not only true of governments generally, in our own homes as well. We want godly people, we want godly virtue, godly vision, because that will ensure good success in our personal endeavors, not just our communal, corporate, uh, you know, American or continental endeavors, whatever country you live in. More to come as we consider kings and kingdoms. I talked with Avi Lipkin, an author, a friend of the ministry, a personal friend, in fact, to get his perspective on what happened at the conclusion of the 70-year exile in Babylon. Avi, uh, Ezra Nehemiah, the end of the Old Testament world, uh, what was happening back then? Well, as you know, after the destruction of the first temple and uh, most of the Israelites were exiled to Iraq, uh, most of the uh, exiles really did not want to come back to the land of Israel. Uh, life in Iraq was very good. Don't Babylon. Babylon, yeah. In antiquity, Iraq Babylon. and modernity. And uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came from there. And uh, so it was, it was comfortable for the Jews to say that the, actually the Talmud was concocted, you know, was written in that area uh, by the year 500 AD. That's right, people don't know that. The Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud was more expanded than the Yerushalami, the Jerusalem. Yerushalmi, exactly. The Jerusalem uh, Talmud is shorter, uh, it's more abridged, and actually it, it, they suffered at that time more from the, from the Byzantine persecution. It wasn't possible as much uh, to be free that freedom in Babylonia to do the Talmud. Anyway. Yeah, but I led you another place. What do you want to say about Ezra Nehemiah, that world? Okay, now Ezra Nehemiah wanted to come back and they wanted to have a more, a, a more of a purist Jewish state. And so what they said to many of the Israelites was to divorce what they called their foreign wives, their pagan wives. Don't forget, this is BC. This is before Christ. 
So in the year 400 BC, 500 BC, uh, it wasn't like they were intermarrying with Christians, they were intermarrying with pagans. And one of the very first things I learned 50 years ago from my wife Rachel, who's from Egypt, is that the Jews and the Christians are one people. We're the people of the book, the people of the Bible. And so if the Christians believe in the same God, the same Bible, and they believe in the Messiah who's a Jew, they're not pagans. So it's not the same as in Ezra's time. And uh, Muslims are great people, but they have another God, Allah, the moon God, and they have another Bible, and they have another book, and they have another uh, tradition. Our viewers, by and large, are working with the concept of being grafted into the Jewish people. Absolutely correct. To your point. And one of the things I say about that is that if the Jews are the roots and the Christians are the branches, and I say amen to that, but together we make one tree. And any attack on the roots is an attack on the branches and vice versa. And again, it's one of the reasons why I felt God was forcing me, telling me, you've got to do this Judeo-Christian alliance party. And I'm hoping one day that we will see ourselves as the biggest party in the Knesset when all of these millions and millions of Jews and Christians come home. Thank you so much, Adam. My pleasure. God bless you. It's one of the trademarks of this program that we come from biblical sites when teaching, but the real estate that I want to speak from in this segment is biblical real estate itself. In Psalm 139, David sings in verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Examine me and know my anxious thoughts. And I wonder what kind of leader, what kind of political figure would ask for such things in a world where so many are predisposed to keep the skeletons in the closet out of public view and even out of personal view. This person goes on to say in verse 24, and see if there be any offensive way within me and lead me in a way everlasting. Now there is a kind of beauty in this to be sure. And for that matter, the person that came up with the song is imperfect, David himself. I don't personally expect perfection in human affairs, but I like to see things that come closer to it. And against that backdrop, as I uh, begin to walk away from a series looking at kings and kingdoms, with kingdoms that fell apart and kings that fell apart, Recalling my own grading of these kings, I wasn't particularly gracious, but I think they didn't earn good grades on the whole. But even against that backdrop, I'm reminded of a prophet who was murdered by one of Judah's kings, who looked over the horizon in chapter 9, verse 6. He sees a child who's going to be born, a son who's going to be given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He envisions this king. Now, Hebrews, rabbis are predisposed to see uh, this as a prophecy of the coming of King Hezekiah. I'm less inclined because Hezekiah's name wasn't called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That title, to be sure, is reserved for one person. 
you might think of the song, if come uh, Christmas time, you're game to listen to Handel's Messiah, which is something of a tradition in my family, irrespective of what you think of the holiday and when you think the Lord was born. Those of us who think the Messiah was born in the person of Yeshua are harking back to a song that was sung, For unto us a child is born, referencing him were told of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. In speaking of kings and kingdoms and all the imperfections associated with them, I want to draw attention to a king. Should we give him rulership in our world? There's a guarantee of peace and success in life that comes in the wake of our so doing. Appropriately, in a democracy, we're afforded the opportunity to cast a vote. But I want to tell you that irrespective of who sits in the Oval Office on Pennsylvania Avenue, and I have my preference. I believe, however, that irrespective of who sits there, for us, success in life is more predicated upon who reigns in here. And to that end, I believe we do well to look at the literature. As I said at the outset, I'm used to coming to you from a biblical terrain, actually hills, sticks and bricks, sites, ancient fortifications, palaces, and sites in the Holy Land, but I want to come to you from a location in the Holy Book and tell you that when I think of kings and kingdoms and who ought to reign and who ought to have dominion, I'm minded to go with this prophet who gives voice to the fact that should we give access to this Prince of Peace, this King of Kings, we're told that of peace, of shalom, as we see his government manifested in our life, that we'll see a peace that passes all understanding, and of that there will be no end. Words come to an end, and television series come to an end. But there's a kind of peace that comes to us now and goes with us beyond the grave. As we look at kings and kingdoms, I want to encourage you to second look, take a second look at the one who wore this crown and invite him into your world and discover how that by virtue of his residing therein, it will make all the difference. Our resource this week, the series Kings and Kingdoms. These eight programs examine the rulers of ancient Israel and Judah because within their stories we find lessons of godly leadership and principles we can observe today, even in our political leaders. Get this series for yourself or to share with friends by contacting us and asking for the DVD series Kings and Kingdoms. If you're thinking about visiting the Holy Land, come on a Zola tour, where the scriptures come to life as you get teaching from a messianic perspective. Our spring tour goes to Israel and Petra. In the fall, you can add a cruise of Greece and Ephesus. Come to Israel. See the Jewish roots of your faith. Call us at 1-800-WONDERS or click on the levitt.com slash tour info.
Earlier in the program, we got to see Dr. Seif teaching in, in the Mount of Olives. It was fascinating <laughs> it and is. fantastic. We on our tours go to the Mount of Olives. We are on top of it. We don't get to go inside the mountain, but it's just such an amazing place to go. The views are incredible and you get to see where the temple was, but you're standing the pl on the place where Yeshua will return. Go with us, go to Israel. We go in the spring and the fall, levitt.com is all the information you'll need. Some of you watching today can't get on our bus and we totally understand that, but you can help us financially reach the world. And we thank you so much for your financial support. Right now, we have one more Hebrew lesson from Sarah Lieberman. If you've enjoyed these Hebrew lessons, we'd love to hear from you. Let's go to her now. Shalom, chaverim. Welcome back to our series, Exploring Words of Worship in the Language of Hebrew. You see, in English, we have primarily two words, praise and worship. But in Hebrew, these words mean so many different things. And as a worship leader, I know that if you take some of these meanings and bring them into your worship life, it will truly transform your relationship with the Lord. Now, today's word is a little bit of a tongue twister. It is this, lehishtachavot. It's a very long word, and it comes from the Hebrew word hishtachvaya. What it means is to bow down or to stretch out face down on the ground in worship. It's used in context of coming in contact with royalty, when you bow down in front of the king. In our worship services, normally, if somebody were to lie down, face down on the ground, we might think that's a little weird. But actually, this act of complete surrender, of laying ourselves down all the way, going to the lowest place, is a place where we can give highest praises to the one in the highest place, because he deserves the best of our worship. And when we humble ourselves and lower ourselves to the lowest place, that's when we can give the most incredible worship unto the Lord. Look at what it says in Psalms. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring to you glory and exalt your name because you have done great and marvelous deeds. You alone are God. This is the kind of attitude of giving God the fullness of the glory of everything in your life. I don't know if you've ever tried it, and I know it might sound a little scary, but maybe one time you can go before the Lord alone and just stretch yourself out before Him and just give Him the highest praise from the lowest place. I tell you, it will truly transform your life. Yeah. 
end Search me and know me, Lord Wherever I go Grant me a clean heart And will I know How precious are your thoughts I can't count them all for you. Our desire in this ministry is that you hear the good news of our ultimate leader, Yeshua. We can't do this without your help, and we just thank you so much for that. Today, it's all about Yeshua and the grade that we give him, correct? That's true. And, um, you know, speaking of grading, uh, uh, inasmuch as I've graded uh, these various kings, the way people grade us is with their dollars that they help. Yes. It's kind of like politicians, you know, if they get to power, it's because people vote them in. And similarly, if Jesus gets into a heart, it's because he's invited in. And if we get to tell this story this way, it's because people uh, facilitate it when they vote with their dollars. Right. Here, as we look a lot at these, of kings, a lot, lot of, of kings, a lot of <laughs> Fs, you know, it really was something of a downward spiral in so many ways that came to ruin, decay, and despair until we get to A-plus here, of course. Yes, there it is. Uh, Yeshua himself, A-plus. Plus, uh, another plus. Yes, and, uh, you know, he lived 2,000 years ago, but he lives today because he rose from the dead. These didn't. Right. Uh, and uh, he brings a kind of peace now and again into the future. And so I'm so pleased to present him as the ultimate solution to human affairs. And that's the word that sticks out in my mind as you taught us He's the Prince of Peace. Is there peace in our world today? Well, again, we have to answer that for ourselves. There's inner peace. Uh, minimally, we can uh, achieve that by virtue of forgiveness and not only receiving it ourselves, but being inclined to grant it to others as well, and thus bringing about a cessation of hostilities. Uh, we can get all tangled up with human beings. Uh, these thorns got all tangled up and put on a human being who is referred to as a king, mockingly so. Uh, we can invite him into our lives and get all untangled. He looks so different from the others. He wasn't what they expected. They thought this military leader, like the military leader of all military leaders, will finally come. And he came, and he was different, but he really brought them everything they needed. Yes. That was it. Yes, and I realize that in our world today, and back then in antiquity as well, leaders are commander-in-chief of the armies. We need that going forward, but, but I'm looking for human beings as individuals that mirror this king, and I certainly want to see it in political figures. Well, I'm looking forward to the time that he's ruling for a thousand years in Jerusalem. He will show everyone what a real king and real leader looks yes. like. I was going to say a lot of prayer these days for our leadership, yes? Amen. Certainly it's all needed. Yes. Well, it's been swell. Thanks for going with us on the journey. And as you go now, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs. 
the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. There, you can order this week's resource, or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Our Jewish Roots help us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you. This has been a paid program brought to you by Zola Levitt Ministry.